Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and I'm going to help you organize a plan to become the kind of leader you want to be in the nonprofit sector. Thanks for listening. If you want to be a nonprofit leader or maybe more effective in the role you're in now, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. If you would, do me a favor, find the share button. It's somewhere in the graphic of this episode on the device you're listening through right now. Maybe text this episode to just one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Teddy McDaniel, who brings wonderful experience through multiple executive director roles through the Urban League with stops in Phoenix, Austin, and Charlotte. And that offers Teddy a fantastic perspective on nonprofit leadership that he successfully adapted in multiple communities across the United States. And he's also successfully bridged the jump from for-profit success to nonprofit leadership. And his journey alone will give you lots of ideas and advice to think about as you contemplate nonprofit leadership. And also, we dive into what I would call the greatest hits of nonprofit leadership. We talk about strategic planning, we talk about hiring talented staff, and we certainly talk about fundraising and much, much more. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 137. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll find out all of the things Teddy and I discuss, as well as more information on Teddy and the great work he's doing through the Urban League of the Central Carolinas. Speaking of resources, make sure you connect with us while you're on the website. You can connect with us on any of the primary social media platforms. And this is a good time to connect as you think about 2022, as this episode is released near the end of 21. Uh, we've got resources we're working on. We'd be happy to make sure you get them. Simply give us your email address and make sure you get uh, that information. Also, you can connect with us if you want to have a 15-minute Zoom or conversation. We can talk about your organization and what it's facing, and maybe more importantly, your personal journey in nonprofit leadership. Uh, we have a few spots left in our spring mastermind cohort. We'd love to have you. Let me know if you need more information. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation now with Teddy McDaniel. Teddy, thank you for joining me on the path. Uh, thank you, Dr. McDowell. Happy to be here. I'm excited about this conversation. You have had a wonderfully successful career in nonprofit leadership. In fact, multiple sectors, because we'll talk about that. You didn't start in nonprofit, but you have succeeded after you arrived. And you've done it in multiple communities, which I think is important. A lot of our listeners maybe are pondering moves in the sector, moving to a different community. You can speak to that. But I just know you're going to have good wisdom for both current nonprofit leaders and those thinking about it. So let me start with that first question, Teddy. You were successful in banking, financial services. Why did you make the jump into nonprofit leadership? Well, um, it it really started uh, as a, I started as a volunteer. So yeah, I spent 15 years in New York and then the Phoenix Scottsdale area in banking and in both cities, um, towards the end of my New York City uh, tenure, I worked in Stanford in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I volunteered uh, as a board member at the Stanford Urban League. Um, and 
really got to know it. We have a young professionals group, which I helped to found uh, yep. in Stanford. And so I just kind of got involved. And, and I should say, I met the president and CEO of the Stanford Urban League, who wow. really kind of pulled me in and said, hey, young man, uh, are you interested? The Urban League, at the time, he had a, a position on his board for someone under 35. Yep. And he asked and I jumped at the opportunity. So that was the first time. Then I ended up going out to Phoenix to work for GE Capital in 2004. And six months into it, Pat and I, I um, Phoenix was an interesting place for me right. culturally. It was 4% African-American, um, but it was doing you know relatively well at the bank, but when to get in the community. And I had another friend uh, in Washington that, went to a National Urban League event and met the Greater Phoenix Urban League CEO. Oh, wow. He said, you all should connect. Um, relationships are everything. And so we did. I immediately joined that board of directors in 2005. I'd been in Phoenix about a year. Uh, I was the second president of the Young Professionals and really, um, I guess, as we say, you know, fell in love with the, the movement of the Urban League. That's and fantastic. So, um, I worked at GE Capital until 2008, and I was a board member the entire time of the Greater Phoenix Urban League. And then uh, in 2009, separated from GE Capital. And uh, in February 2009, I, I was offered and accepted the position of Chief Operating Officer of the Greater Phoenix Urban League. That was your first staff that was, position? That was my Okay. That was my first staff position. Now, by that time, having served on the board for three years, I had a, a, a pretty general understanding of what the Urban League was about. Yeah. Um, I had been to national conferences. I'd really gotten involved. In fact, the truth is, by the time November of 2008 came, I was doing more for the Urban League than I was even in my banking career. Right, right. Um, I, I was leading stuff in the community. And I just honestly fell in love with the mission. Um, and so I was blessed enough to have an opportunity to start working uh, there in February of 2009. That's how I made the transition. Teddy, that's fantastic. And I, I guess I'm struck by the fact that you benefited from getting involved as a volunteer and a board member because you and I both know they're well-intentioned individuals that think they can jump right into working at a nonprofit. And I wonder if you would confirm that being a volunteer and a board member first helped you be successful on the staff. Uh, absolutely. Um, it, it was it was an eye opener for me uh, in both cities, but especially in Phoenix, um, where I just decided to get involved. And, you know, when you're a board member, uh, you can decide how much engagement with the nonprofit you want. And it's governance that's important. But I got involved with programs and just saw things I really liked. So I, I truly benefited from that volunteer uh, position. And it helped, it helped confirm for me purpose. And that's, that's, it was, I, I had gotten to a point in my banking career where I was pretty good, probably, yeah. Yeah. but I wasn't passionate about it. And I found at the Urban League, I was passionate about the mission and the purpose and I, that being a board member is how, where that got started. 
Well, it sounds like you were also strategic and either you identifying mentors or mentors identifying you as a rising star. But was that also instrumental both in, I guess, Connecticut as well as Phoenix? Without a doubt. I mean, people poured into me uh, first. It was Charles Shepard, who was the at the time of Stanford Urban League president and CEO. And then when I went to Phoenix, it was George Dean, uh, who's still the president and CEO uh, at the Greater Phoenix Urban League and others, uh, other board members that that pulled me aside or if I asked questions, they answered. And they just they really exposed me to the work of the Urban League. And, um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without those uh, folks. I, I often say to people, um, when doors are open, it's up to you to kind of run through them. All right. Right. And, and that's that's what I did. And uh, I, I listened and learned a lot uh, <laughs> because it's 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 quite it's quite an, an industry. You know, we can talk about that. You know, it's I often say, Patton, that uh, and people have heard me and Charlie say this. Um, we don't, I don't run a nonprofit. I run a tax exempt business that serves people. Absolutely. But, um, we learned, learned a lot from mentors that really kind of said, Hey, we've been doing this for a while. You've got the background and and now learn and and get exposed yourself. That's perfect. And you're right. We will indeed get back into some of those mechanics that you articulate now as a leader of the Urban League. But let me ask you this. You and I talked about before. I think most listeners are familiar with the phrase Urban League, but I would Mm -hmm. wager they don't fully understand what you do. And so (laughs) tell our listeners, what exactly is the Urban League? And maybe you could talk about some of the misunderstandings, perhaps, that, you know, we need to be better educated about. Sure. So uh, I lead the Urban League of Central Carolinas, based here in Charlotte. And we are one of 90 affiliates of the National Urban League. So we're 90 cities. The National Urban League, Pat, was founded in 1910. Right. And as a contrast, the NAACP was founded in 1909. So they're just a year apart. We are a proud civil rights organization, Legacy. And uh, over the decades, you know, we've done a lot of great work. The Urban League's mission, though, I often say that our, the organizations are complementary in that the Urban League's mission is, in a nutshell, social and economic equality for okay. African-Americans and all underrepresented people. But what does that mean You know, from, from a, a, a direct service um, realm? What we're, we're trying to eliminate racial disparities essentially in five areas. Okay. Education, meaning we want our youth to be ready for college, work, and life. Jobs, so we can talk about our job training programs here in Charlotte and around the country. Um, Livable wage jobs, I should say, um, that, that lead to careers. Affordable housing. Uh, we want our clients to be in affordable housing on fair terms that are energy efficient. Healthcare disparities in the African-American community, unfortunately, um, we we are really behind on on things like obesity and getting with the doctor. And of course, COVID has exacerbated a lot of those problems. Absolutely. Um, And I also should mention 
entrepreneurship. And so as a former banker, I lead this work primarily because I'm trying to encourage and, and scale black wealth. So I often say that if you're economically self-sufficient, when life happens as it does, you got something to fall back on. Exactly. And so in, in all five of these areas, the Urban League has data that we've kept for 40 years at least on the disparities. And just a little historical footnote. So um, the Urban League really came to prominence in the 40s and 50s and 60s during the Great Migration. Right. So blacks left the South, Jim Crow. And where did they go? They went north. So they went to Chicago and they went to Ohio and they went to Detroit and they went all over the country, in fact. And but they were looking for two things during that time. Good jobs and affordable housing. Right. And so the, the Urban League has always been involved in those things. The five areas and goals that I just mentioned were reconfirmed in 2010 at our centennial conference. Right. And so um, the 90 affiliates are guided by those uh, five initiatives, but we, we're creative in it. There, there are some urban leagues that in Phoenix, we ran and still run a Head Start program. So early childhood development. Okay. And they have 1,400 kids now in Phoenix at the Urban League's Head Start uh, program. Um, so I often say it's comprehensive from Head Start to college prep on the education side. We're very involved in STEAM and STEM work for youth. Uh, in jobs uh, here in Charlotte, we do a really lot of, a lot of work in um, job training, uh, soft skills, certification. So our program is called Career Bridge. And um, we're, we're very specific in uh, getting our clients education and, and post-secondary credentials because you need them. And there's, there's a lot of you know, studies out there now that there's so many jobs coming where you don't need a degree. I often say a, a certification to get you a job, a degree to get you a career. Yeah, good but, way to put it. Education is lifelong and you want, these are stepping stones. So whether you want a high school equivalency or, you know, in Charlotte, we've got medical billing and medical coding, and we've done HVAC technician training for years. Now we do IT, SAP, which is systems applications products. That's cloud enterprise work. Yes, indeed. And we, we, you know, and every company is looking for these types of skills. And so um, jobs are, are, are a big thing in workforce development uh, here. I can't. I can't go any further without talking about health and we'll get to housing. If you live in Charlotte, like so many cities, uh, affordable housing is, is critical. It's a headline, but isn't it? Yeah. It's a headline and, and it should be, I, I'll, I'll stick with housing for just a second and say, listen, just look at any study. Most people will build wealth in this country by owning a home, right? Having an asset. And so home buyer education Everything, any client at the Urban League is going to get financial education of some sort. Right. We are a meet you where you are organization. So, but when we say that, it's okay, what are your needs, basics? Uh, what are your uh, education background? Let's get you some training and whatever you need. But also, we've got to 
get you the education so that if you get a job or when you do, you can manage your money and, and, and thrive going forward. I'm, I'm really trying to help eliminate what I call a revolving door. Right. And right. healthcare. I mean, it's so critical. Just look at the news with COVID, but pre-COVID, if you look at things like obesity or diabetes or um, access to insurance, so Urban Leagues um, participated in the Navigator program. In Austin, as the CEO, uh, we had staff members to help people get on the Affordable Care Act, right? You, you've got to have insurance, and there's so many people who don't. Or if you don't, you got to go to the primary doctor. You got to get checked out. You know that if you have you don't have your health, or you have kids at home that don't have food, then they're not going to succeed. Exactly right. Do anything else. So, uh, and then entrepreneurship, which I just think now, especially in the Charlotte, North Carolina, is critical. Um, I think that you've got to help uh, get capital to. Black and minority businesses. But I often say, hey, I don't really believe that access to capital is the thing. Is it an issue? Of course. But what we're trying to do is help Black and minority businesses scale instead of just exist. Exactly right. Right. There, there are all kinds of studies where you, you got you have a lot of entrepreneurs, but they have one employee or they have one product line. And they have been unable to scale over the years. And that's what we're trying to really shake the ground on, right? You've seen all these investments. And because, unfortunately, with the death of George Floyd and all these other folks, Keith Lamont Scott, you got all these investments in, in public acts. Yep. Um, but we got to invest and then do. I often say we're not a talk tank, a think tank. We are <laughs> we a do tank. <laughs> Love that phrase. And and you articulated well, Teddy. I'm struck by a one I learned about the Urban League just now. And and I bet a lot of our listeners learn things about the good work you're doing they didn't know. And are you strategic, I guess, and as you continue to run into people who have misunderstandings, are, are you then kind of proactive in your communication strategy? Like, hey, we need to lift up health disparities or like, absolutely. Do you, how do so, you decide with all these good messages, what you want to lead with? It, it, it is strategy. It, it, we're, we're constantly um, strategically planning. Now I gave you the, the five areas that's broad. Now there are very few organizations that can do all five well. And so you, you build and you have to integrate things. So uh, for us at this Urban League, we've got a pretty strong job training program. It's growing, but it's families that we're talking to. So if we've got adults in our program and they have children in the school system that need support, well, we want to do that. Or Let's be more specific, Patton. And we've got a, a, a women's exclusive working class women's program called WTB. I'm happy to talk about that, that, that we just launched. And now we're saying, hey, whole family. So if you are a mother or a father and you got you need child care, well, we, we've got to be able to have some, some wraparound and support for that. Or mental health. We want to remove these barriers. 
that so many people have on their path um, to self-sufficiency. And, and that's that's the model. Now, I also say that we should be as good at what we do as telling people about what we don't do. That's right? a good so point. I, I do. I believe and I'm in a lot of coalitions in a no wrong door approach. But if we don't do it ourselves, we ought to have coalition partners where it's a warm handoff, not take this phone number and call them next time. Nope. Let's let's get you to who the expert is in that with the resources. And so uh, you have to, because I'll go back to the business model. You can't be all things to all people. You just right. can't. And you, you'll spread yourself too thin, right? That's and right. You're, you're... That's right. And you'll be mediocre and we don't want that. The, 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 the community doesn't deserve it. So. But you're also um, not giving me a roadblock of like, all right, sorry, we can't help you, but figure it out no, yourself. No, no. You're going to nope. walk them to the resource almost, Absolutely. aren't you? Yep. And, and we're going to make a call or an email and say, listen, partner, um, we have someone that could use your service. And we know we have a, we, we want to have relationships with these brother and sister organizations. That, that's really what it is. We have a, a league opportunity coalition. In fact, we have an event this evening uh, to where well, we, we meet with our partners consistently. Right. We, we, we if you're in housing or if you're in uh, a neighborhood organization or your grassroots and or your health care, whatever it is, and you're a, a, an urban league coalition partner. Well, let's talk about that. And that way you're kind of creating that no wrong door or the, the soft referral so that people can get the services they need. Teddy, how active, well, I'm sure it's active on the national level, the national network. Have, have you found a particular peer group that you rely on? Do you kind of compare your urban league with certain other urban leagues because they sort of match up? Or how does that work as other nonprofit leaders think about their own national networks? Uh, it's, I think it's the power of the urban league movement, is what we call it. So I, 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 I often talk to my colleagues in other cities, peer cities, and I'll just use peer in quotes, Patton, because um, there are some urban leagues um, with you know, multi-million dollar, 50, 60, 70 million dollar operating budget, and there's some with a million dollars. And, and it just kind of depends. That's capacity um, and, and money that you can raise to do things. But we share ideas consistently. And so you know, I'm very close to a lot of the CEOs. You know, it'll be my 10th year next March. And so I look at cities like Atlanta yep, and yep. Lauderdale and Nashville and, and, and Houston. And I came from Austin, right? So uh, just like city leaders in Charlotte have peer cities. So do urban leagues. That's what I wondered. Yeah. We're dealing with a lot of the same issues. And so we, we have a very tight urban league movement uh, of staff, of board members, uh, of um, even clients that come by. Right. So they know us in other cities and they move to Charlotte and they say, Hey, I want to get involved. And, we we really love that. So we're always we're always listening to get better. Yeah, I love that strategic networking. And I wondered if, well, of course, I'm not surprised that you you identify communities and cities like the one you're in 
and I'm sure you've got your own network just because of your association with so many of those good leaders. Um, Let me take you back in the time machine though, Teddy, when you first started, if you can shift gears with me, I guess it'd be back to Phoenix. Okay. What what surprised you about jumping into nonprofit when you were first in a staff role? Because I think a lot of people listening may think, well, yeah, I'm I'm ready to make the jump from my whatever for-profit career. Do you remember then what surprised you and or what helped you get started? Sure. So what surprised me really was, and this is a good surprise, I guess, but it was, hey, there's an operation to this work. There's structure and there's competition. That was probably the biggest thing. Um, I was in a position to really kind of look at the landscape. Because if I'm doing housing work and education work, and there's no shortage of need in these cities, who else am I competing against? Pat, you have to to know that. Exactly. Competition competition can be good or not so good, I guess. But I was able to learn and learn the landscape of the nonprofit industry. And so that, that was a surprise. Another surprise, and this, this, this is my own personal journey. I, and I do a lot of reading and we can talk about books and, and all of that. Oh, we will. Don't. <laughs> we will. Oh yeah. Sure. I love that. But <laughs> I, I remember, I remember my first two or three months reading uh, an article in the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So that's, I kind of say that's the nonprofit's Wall Street Journal. Indeed. And um, I remember reading a study done by, a, by American Express. This was 2009. They had done a study and they said something like 2,000, approximately 2,000 nonprofit executive director or CEO jobs will come open in the next few years yep. with like no succession plan. Yep. And I said, wow. Um, I really... You know, turned the light on for me and it kind of confirmed that, hey, I, I'm in purpose-driven work. I really love what, I, what I'm doing and there's going to be opportunities, right? So that it, it, it confirmed for me or it, it really encouraged me to say, hey, I mean, Pat, the truth is I was working there within six months. I, I found my passion. You knew it I then, knew. didn't you? Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I said I want to be an Urban League CEO. I want to. I want to be. I want to be in that position. In fact, I kind of knew it when I was going in there to start working, and so there were surprises. There were uh, there were roadblocks uh, because you really do need to uh, focus. First of all, uh, we have a few sayings, but no money, no mission. Yes, indeed. Right. You have to be clear about that. And the Urban League model is one where we have a wonderful volunteer base, but we have full time staff members and they have to have talent and they have to uh, be strong in their own areas of expertise. And then there's that other thing called all duties as a sign. Yeah, the fine print. Right. And that job description. Right. (laughs) I, I was I was really fortunate to learn that firsthand. Yeah. And so um. It, it it became something where it, I, I, this is personal. So my father, uh, people have heard some. My father's a retired uh, music professor. Oh wow! 
he chaired the jazz department at Ohio State for 30 plus years. And locally, he at one time he was North Carolina A&T's band director. And before that, Morehouse College's band director. So uh, I remember being in my banking career, Patton. I used to be jealous of my dad. And I'm Teddy McDaniel III. <laughs> right. William right. Theodore. Yeah. Very yeah. Proud. We're, we're close. But I was, I was, I'd say I was jealous because my dad found a career that it wasn't like he was working. And he loved wanted, his work, didn't he? He, he loved, loved his work. work. Yeah. And he still does. I mean, you know, the, the things he's doing. But that's what I found with Urban League. So my 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 lesson or my my message to those out there, find your passion. Like that, that's what it was for me. People ask, why the Urban League, Teddy? I get this question all the time. Well, it's pretty simple for me. I found an organization with a mission that supports two of my greatest passions, economic development and black culture. Indeed. That that those two things, and you know, I can do a lot of things within that, um, but I love it. And I don't feel like I'm working anymore. I just, I tell people, I don't have a job. I'm on a mission. You're in your sweet spot, aren't you? For sure. Like your yeah, father I, is. And I, love I really that. enjoy it. Really enjoy it. Well, I, I want to underline several things that are impressive to me. One, that, that kind of landscape evaluation or however you described it, that, because as you know, a lot of times funders will say, well, Teddy, I thought so-and-so is also doing workforce development, or I thought they're doing housing. What, what are you doing in housing or workforce? So you were intentional, I guess, about evaluating the landscape so that I guess you could even better articulate where the Urban League fit into this ecosystem. Is that is that fair? Or was that the advantage of maybe doing that kind of community study you did? It was. So I'll go back to a report that the Urban League, many people in the Black community are familiar and white. But for 40 years, we produced the State of Black America report. So we still do it. Uh, the late Vernon Jordan, who passed last year, uh, was the National Urban League president right. uh, in the 70s. And he introduced the state of Black America. And it was it was a book that was produced every year. The, the, we still have a Washington Bureau in D.C. that writes white papers in all these areas and studies. And now it's a, it's a full online production. And you can go to stateofblackamerica.org on the National Urban League website. And we, we, the report talks about those areas, but it also localizes things, right? So it's nice. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fact that African-American pre-COVID unemployment is double that of whites. But what about in Charlotte? Right. What, what, so the, the, the racial wealth gap, you know, we have partnered with Prosperity Now, and now the Urban Institute at Charlotte, UNC Charlotte, um, has produced these racial wealth gap studies. Well, you got to push and say, okay, what are you actually pointing out? What are some solutions? How do we uh, evaluate progress? Another urban league saying is you, do, you should do your job so well you put yourself out of business. That is a great mantra, right? And That's right. it seems to me that drives your strategic planning. You know, you mentioned, for example, I would say, Teddy, many nonprofits hadn't even thought about succession planning. Clearly, you have. Are there some other keys to your kind of approach to strategic planning? I mean, you've got clear vision for those five areas, but how do you approach strategic planning as a nonprofit leader? What's that look like for you? So it's a good question, Pat. And I, I think I see it now as a strategic plan should be a living document. 
So we have one, you know, from 20 to 23, and I've got a, a, a 19 member board of directors. And, and we went out and performed and, and produced a strategic plan. But you, you have to be able to adapt to current conditions, right? So no one knew that COVID was going to hit yeah, exactly. in 2018, right? Or 2019 even. We're just going along and everyone's trying to do good work. And all of a sudden, a worldwide pandemic hits. and then. Uh, an economic pandemic hits. And then uh, an ongoing for decades old racial pandemic is now illuminated throughout the country. And so strategically, you have to say to yourself, okay, I've got a plan and I've got a structure or a guideline or framework, but what else can I do? How else can I shift? Um, but, but that, that's quite a process, Pat, because one thing you, you have to be wary of is grant chasing or mission drift. That's a lot of, you'll hear, you'll hear that term. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to do that. If your right? plan's not clear, right. You, that's you right. risk that. You, you people. And sometimes, you know, I, I forget the Charlotte number. Uh, I think that they're somewhere. I think I read it's about 9,000 registered nonprofits in Charlotte. I think in Austin, it was like 14,000. Yes, you're right. That's, 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 that's quite a landscape. Speaking of competition, right? I mean, there are a lot of that, folks out it. there. Good causes. Good, good but, causes, yeah. right? But, you know, if you're dealing with that, you better find some collaboration. Uh, and, and so that you can actually make a difference. That, that's we're, we're actually here to change things. Well put. Well, in fact, you you lift up your board, and I know they were part of this plan, and you've got sure. a very talented board. Talk about that. How do you – what are some keys for you to identify, recruit, and then engage some of these talented board members? Yeah, it's, that, that's a um, – it's quite an effort. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to have passionate volunteers who you, – you, you meet them and you develop relationships. and like minds kind of come together based on the mission. And we have 19 now and we can get up to 25. And so, but, but it's, that's the work governance and structure and strategic planning. That's the work of, of, of a board. I, you know, I mentioned that I was on two urban league boards before I worked for the urban league. Yeah. And great experience. I'm, I'm, probably. On, I'm on nonprofit boards right now. You know, like the North Carolina High School for Accelerated Learning, which is two charter schools in Charlotte. And um, you know, shout out to um, Commonwealth High School and, and Stewart Creek. Yes. Um, helping, help, helping to get students that high school diploma they need so they can move on educationally. But you, you need to know bylaws. and You need to know um, what the rules of engagement are. That's the that that's the governance and business part. It's important. Well, and that's and so, Teddy. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's perfect. So, in other words, your experience on other boards probably helps you work even better with your board. Is that fair? Or what? What do you get out of serving on other boards? I guess. Absolutely. Uh, I, I really enjoy the work, and I like learning diff, different strategies and engagement. 
with with executive directors or presidents or and, and staff too. Now let, let me not mention uh, let me not not mention that. <laughs> right. You have to work with in 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 most pro- nonprofits, you know, people are paid to do this work. And as a board member, you you need to be engaged and understand that. There it's it's tax exempt work, but it's work. And being a board member on other entities has really taught me a lot about structure and I also say rules of engagement because a, a board member has a certain role. You know, when you're on the board of the Urban League, you're going to sign a commitment letter. Here's what you're committing to. Yes, indeed. And here's what the Urban League's committing to. It's a relationship. And I think people out there just maybe thinking about this or wanting to be on boards, understand what you're committing to. Uh, because just like a for-profit company, there are rules, right? And guidelines that you, you really want to follow. So it has helped me tremendously. Now, I, I probably learn as much from those other boards as I do from working at the league. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and it's just good advice because I think nonprofit leaders, I know they're all busy. I know our listeners are busy, but oh, yeah. a, a yep. strategic uh, volunteer opportunity on another board could be a very valuable experience. And of course, you lift it up to the staff component. So, Teddy, I got to ask you about that. You were recruited as a talented, you know, rising star as a staff member when you first joined in Phoenix. But what are you looking for? In other words, if if there are three people applying for a job and they're equal, relatively speaking, in terms of the job description, are there certain things you look for when you hire somebody to work for you? Absolutely. I got seven values at the Urban So first is my five C's, character, compassion, commitment, communication, what I forget, a competence. Those are the five C's. Indeed. Yep. Then there's accountability and integrity. So it's five plus two. But so, but the first thing after a resume is um, how how passionate are you about what we're doing? I want to know that. Do, Do you understand our mission? Do you are you passionate about it? Because we need those those types of people. Then there's there is I put competence in there because you need talent. There's no question about this. You you, you need talent, um, subject matter experts, um, and so I'm looking for mission driven people. I'm looking for uh, talent, uh, and that compassion piece is so critical. But you you don't. And what we do is people work. And if you don't have that kind of uh, empathy for others, then it's it's a little tough. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's okay. tough, right? And so um, we we go by the five C's. I often say you know, talent. You need talent. I, I don't want to understate that. Yeah, you still have to have that, right? You got to have that. Yeah, but you know, I think that there are there are people with different skill sets that if they're the right fit for your organization, you can develop along the way. Love that. So if I'm coming to interview with you, I'd be smart to think about the five C's, how I could illustrate the five C's plus two. And that probably would get your attention, maybe if all things being equal Absolutely. with another talented candidate, right? Absolutely. Well, the other thing I I ask candidates is now how much do you want to work at Urban League? 
Yes. I'm serious. Like, like if I had to rate <laughs> a rating, what's, right, how, right. do you want to be here? We're not, you know, we're, we're not unknown. You, you, you have the opportunity to, and there are lots of good choices out there. But make your case for this one, right? That's right. You got to make your case. Absolutely. Love it, Teddy. Teddy, you're all over town. You're, you're a wonderful ambassador for the Urban League. And I. so my kind of final topic area for you is it strategically. I mean, you could partner with everybody in Charlotte, literally. So I wonder, mm-hmm. do, do you go through kind of a mental exercise of like, all right, the three most important partnerships are A, B, and C? Or do you feel like you kind of always have to keep your eyes up for community collaboration? But I know that's kind of been a hallmark of your career is community collaboration. I'm just curious, yeah, how do you do that? Well, so in its best form, the Urban League is a community empowerment agency, right? So yep. best relationship is with the community itself. You got to know the people and engage with the people. Yep. And as I say this often in Charlotte, you know, we got to deal with a lot of race problems and, and, and disparities, but you have to go know who you are trying to help and they should inform your plan. If they don't, then you're just talking at people. Yes. Good point. Like that's, and that's not fair. No one wants that. So um, I think that's, that's really critical. Um, And I don't know if we'll get the books and other things. Oh, we will, but yeah, but it's, it's, so partnership-wise, the staff, we, we, we've been intentional on even, even job titles, Pat. And so we don't call our folks case managers anymore. We call them empowerment advocates. Interesting. Yep. Right? Because that's, that's intentional. Right, right. And, and I should – I have to mention that the Urban League's main mission is advocacy. We were a civil rights organization. Indeed. So in all these areas, we can serve you directly and all of that, but we have to be your advocate for policy change, for community change, change for whatever it is, focus on the community you're serving as a partner and, and then the, the surrounding the su- surrounding entities, right? And I don't have to name them, you know, you get, you, I, I believe in public-private partnerships. Yes, indeed. The triple P, right? So what you're working with you know, for-profit big corporations, small businesses, government agencies, community-based. You got you have to be strategic in, in working with those like-minded partners, um, and you can you can have some success if uh, if you focus. Uh, I love that. Well, I was going to ask you. I mean, do you do you literally have like a I don't know? Is it a top twenty list of? Because you seem to be connected with the right people in the community. So you've been thoughtful about it. And I don't know, do you think about like, all right, each year, I'm going to make sure I'm going to connect with the the right people. Is it, does it happen organically or is it, yes. you know it's what I'm saying? Organic. Uh, no, I, I think about it often. I, I, it, it's somewhat organic. I, I am, I'm a social entrepreneur. And so uh, when it comes to relationships, I think that they're important. And actually, it's the way to learn, right? It's just like anything else. You, you talk to people and uh, get folks' advice. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm very 
strategic in uh, developing relationships. I don't know if I, I don't have a list necessarily. I, I keep looking. I keep it's listening all head. the time. Yeah, it's no, in your head. No, though, no, right? no, no. I write things down. My mom. I can hear my mom right now. <laughs> write it down. Write it down. It's, it's good advice, mom. Counseling. Yes. So no, I've got all kinds of lists, right. but it just kind of depends on what the initiative is. And um, but I, I I'm gonna go back to mm, I don't like to think about mission drift. Yeah, right. right. I want mission aligned partners, right? That's, and, and that yeah. that's that's really the kind of focus when it comes to the relationship. And I just think leadership, right? And, and you just, they got localized things. You know, I got here in 2017. Of course, you know, you had the Chetty study and lead on opportunity and all this stuff. And we're still talking about it. We need to. It's been elevated. Now, but, you know, within your sphere of influence, you got to build some some real strategic partnerships because it just, you know, staff makes me do a lot of hashtags. My favorite <laughs> right now for me is yes. no more hashtag, no more silos. Interesting. Because here's the thing. Uh, I'll go back to Pier Cities. Right. So my home I mentioned is Columbus, Ohio, and it's a it's a pier city. And I came from Austin. It's a pier city. You got others kind of midsize and even larger and everybody's comparing. But we can learn lessons. Like we, and we should. Because we don't, in my opinion, you don't necessarily you should be innovative. You have to or you'll die. But you don't have to reinvent every wheel. And Perfect. that's a that's a blessing, you know, that that you know I, I count on a lot. Well, Teddy, I've got a list of of good ideas and advice you've offered our listeners. Uh it's fantastic. Um uh, is there anything else you might offer someone who comes to you and says, Hey Teddy, I want to follow kind of the path you took, or is there any other advice you would offer someone thinking about getting into the nonprofit leadership world like you have? Sure. So first I gotta give you some books. Right. Education. Yes. Yes. Please do. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, it's called Forces for Good. And um, it's it's a few additions, but, you know, the six practices of high impact nonprofits. Great. I, it, was, it was given to me my first year as an Urban League CEO. And I, I read it and then I read it again and others. And I, I look at I look at books like Good to Great. Yeah. Right? Yep. The, the same principles. Uh, and then. I'll also say, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna give two more, uh, give one book that I'm reading right now. Okay, this is particular to the Urban League. So we're just on a panel at uh, UNC Charlotte, uh, and Andre Perry, who's a fantastic scholar at the Brookings Institute, he wrote a book called Know Your Price. Interesting. Valuing, valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities. So I'm reading that. It's wonderful. I, I, I'll give you one more book, and then I'll go to my own. Um, then, you know, a lot of people in Charlotte have become really familiar with the color of law. Yes. Right. And so the Good author one. came to Charlotte a couple of years ago, and it really is telling the story of redlining and the government's involvement and all of that. But for, for me, uh, I have in my office the biography of every national urban league president. Interesting. Yes. So Whitney Young and Vernon Jordan, and Hugh Price, and now Mark Morial. And so because I like to read about people, I read sports biographies too, but I want to know 
how did you get there? What's been your journey? And so, yeah, you you gotta you gotta you gotta read and study and, and learn. That's fantastic. I, I remember talking to Rhett Mabry, as you, I'm sure you know from the Duke Endowment, sure. and he said the same sure. thing that you know there's a lot of good self help, so to speak. But he said biographies were central to his learning, and it sounds like you have followed that as well. All of my life, yeah. I mean, sports biographies, leadership biographies, all of that. I, I really enjoy reading about other people's stories, learning from their, you know, their, their journeys and then developing my own. Yes. Yes. And yes. It, well, Teddy, this has been fantastic. Um, lots of notes. Of course, I'm going to encourage our listeners to check out the show notes for this episode because you've got lots of things to share. In fact, where would you like people to go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing for the Urban League? Yeah. So our website is Urban League cc.org with the urban league of central carolinas and i would also say the social media handles are there instagram is urban league underscore charlotte and you know i'm on linkedin uh and all of that as well you know, come come join the movement that, that's what i say you know there are multiple ways to get involved as a volunteer uh, as you know we've got all kinds of things going, but we, we are keeping our eyes on the community we serve. And, and Pat, it's a season of giving. That's right? a good way to put it. No, we can't forget that people are in need. Indeed. And so, you know, we stay focused, but yeah, we love to, to have more people join our movement and uh, help move the community forward. That's fantastic. Well, Teddy, I'm going to absolutely lift up the great work you're doing here in Charlotte. Also, I'll, of course, uh, connect folks to the National Urban League website sure. so they, so they sure. can find the Urban League close to them. You know, NUL.org. Perfect. Uh, it'll be there. Thank you, my friend, for joining me on the path. Hey, thank you, Pat. And I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Teddy as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and maybe to get you to think more about your approach to nonprofit leadership. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Teddy and the great work he's doing through the Urban League, um, as well as finding where you can connect with an Urban League near you. All of that is within episode number 137. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with somebody else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Again, patmcdowell.com. Go to the podcast page and you'll find the follow button and you can get to any of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of these weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday as well as bonus features we're producing every other month. And you know what? If you like this episode, there are a whole lot more. Just go to the podcast page again, click on the button that says Episodes, top right corner, and you can scroll through the thumbnails of all what now amounts to 137 episodes of Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.